A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Wednesday was the final day of our pilgrimage in Israel. We had early morning Mass inside the tomb of Christ, so we got up early to walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. The tomb is actually the 14th station. At 6 a.m. in the old city, it's usually just us and the cats. But last Wednesday, they were cleaning the streets in the old city. The power washers were quite noisy. We did manage to avoid getting sprayed, but we sometimes had to duck around a corner to stay out of their way. When we got to the eighth station, Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem. We stopped to wait for the rest of the group to catch up. Children in school uniforms walked by, chatting with each other. They paid no attention to us. And then an old woman walked by. She was carrying three packages, which she carefully set down on the stone pavement. Holding on to her cane, she touched the bronze marker on the wall, which marked the eighth station. She slowly signed herself with the sign of the cross, picked up her packages, and continued on her way. Her action was so simple and unassuming, we could easily have missed it. I thought of Moses, who noticed something out of the ordinary, the subtlety of branches not being consumed by the fire. Moses might easily have walked by, but he decided to take a second look, and then God called him. The divine presence does not overpower. God waits for Moses to notice, and then the voice, Moses, take off your shoes, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Something very ordinary becomes a meeting place between us and God. As Thomas Merton writes, the gate of heaven is everywhere. Three weeks ago, two disciples were on the way to Emmaus. Jesus himself came near and walked with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. When they neared the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him to stay with them. As he sat at table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and he vanished from their sight. We never see God coming, but afterward, as God passes by, we recognize his presence. Were not our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us on the way? There is a tendency to imagine that Jesus may well have been human up until his death, but after the resurrection, 
he reverted to being God, and eventually, like a helium balloon, couldn't be held to the earth any longer and floated back to heaven where he belonged. When Jesus died, it was a fully human being who died completely. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a human being who was given back to us, given back as a crucified and living human being. It's not that Jesus was beamed back up to Starship Enterprise when the mission was accomplished, leaving the earthlings to play happily. It was the introduction of a novelty into heaven, human nature. The risen and crucified Jesus was no less human after his resurrection than before it. This not only says something about the presence of human nature in heaven, but something about the presence of God on earth. All divine dealings with humanity are on a human level. The puzzled disciples were to discover that when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, God was even more fully with them than he had been before. When Jesus was with them physically, he was limited by time and space. If he was in Capernaum, that's where he was, not in Nazareth. If he was in Bethsaida, that's where he was, not Cana. When he sent out his 72 disciples on mission, two by two, he was unable to go with them because he couldn't be in all those places at the same time. In his ascension, Christ no longer limits himself in time and space. When his Spirit came upon them, they could all experience his presence anywhere and everywhere. What began in the Lord's resurrection is now ready to burst forth and flood the world through the work of the disciples. St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10, We have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. In his apostolic exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel, Pope Francis writes, An evangelizing community gets involved by word and deed in people's daily lives. It bridges distances. It's willing to abase itself if necessary. And it embraces human life touching the suffering flesh of Christ in others. Matthew gives us various clues that the group on the mountain represented a broken church. They numbered eleven, reminding everyone of the betrayal by one of the intimate circle. When the disciples first spotted Jesus, they responded by standing back in a mixture of worship and doubt. The Greek of Jesus' command, go and make disciples of all nations, actually makes a verb out of the noun disciple, literally saying, go and disciple all the nations. We make the way by walking. The last line of today's gospel makes it clear who is leading. 
The Gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus' promise, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age.